All right, welcome to Dan O'Man, helping AEs win the interview. Tech AEs, to be specific. It's a tough world out there, is it not, Matt? 615 tech companies laid off about 185,000 people, according to Computer World. And Fast Company came out and said that of the go-to-market sellers, 20% of those were AEs. So when we start to think about the dynamic, it's different than it was even you know a year and a half ago, is it not, Matt? Yeah, I think the shrap metals everywhere. To make it even tougher, you've got four to five hundred applicants fighting for every single open requisition. There's a lot of changes in the marketplace. People uh, are struggling to re- really figure out what's important to any organization in the tech landscape. Is it margin? Is it profit? Is it growth? Is it innovation? Is it AI? Who knows? Depends on where you go. We're hoping we could navigate and, and be a compass for who essentially are our peers. Both you and I sit in high tech firms, fast growing. We've both been through layoffs. We get it. I want to bring uh, whatever assistance I think we can. Yeah, we're going to address two topics. I think the first one is how to set the tone in the interview process and then owning that process. Matt, talk to the listeners a little bit about what a typical Tech AE interview process from your experience looked like. Yeah, in a perfect world, you meet with a recruiter, someone through LinkedIn. You get a referral. You meet with a recruiter. If they like you, you meet with a hiring manager. If they like you, you might meet with a hiring manager and their peer. If that goes well, you might get pushed to a SVP or an AVP for a quick 30-minute, can you pass the sniff test? Should we go to the next round? Then you've got a you've got a panel interview, which is a pressure cooker. And then uh, if that goes well, you walk out, hopefully with an offer, you have one within a day or so. And that's assuming it's perfect, right? But the reality is that recruitment process in technology and everywhere else is really broken. And you and I have seen broken processes our entire year, and we'd be fools to think that HR is different than any one of the tech, you know, Fortune 500 companies that we've walked into in the last 20 years and identified that the majority of organizations that you would believe have things figured out really don't. You've got disparate processes that go across Excel into collaboration, into ERPs, into whatever it might be that create a pretty negative experience, and they probably differ market to market. It's like I went into a tech company, you know, you think a tech company would have good technology. And the reality is there's an old saying that the the cobbler's children have no shoes. And that's the reality in in the HR process. HR processes are not defined and they are traditionally broken. And not only are they not defined, like the hiring manager, I've been on panel interviews, hundreds of them, you've been on them. I've hired people as a leader at, at a prior company. Sometimes I have so many competing priorities. There's two or three questions I want to ask, but then I don't ask every single question that the account team or the HR professionals want me to ask. Also, the hiring manager, there's questions that they can't ask anymore, right? The flow of you got to make sure, rightfully so, you're not asking questions that are biased. You got to hire a diverse candidate. There's a lot of other things that is going into that hiring manager's head before they jump on that call. And they got other things going on you had a really interesting story just yesterday, uh, your buddy. I got a, a friend that I'm bringing in from a referral. I think he'd be a great candidate. Anyways, he he ended up uh, bypassing a lot of the initial process, whatever that is, and ended up just going right to the RVP. And his conversation with the RVP started with him being five minutes late because he was going to pick up rent at one of his tenants at a rental property that he owns. And the expectation from a candidate's perspective that you are important or the only important thing going on at that time with the hiring manager is, uh, I mean, it's it's just not real. Close him at the end? 
Yeah, even funnier, he closed him at the end. You know, do I have your uh, moving forward in this process and do I have your stamp of approval to, to continue forward? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, great, what's uh, what's the next step? And the VP goes, I don't know, I'll have to call you. And, you know, I, I think what he could have done different, what he should have done different there is to, to drive what should and ought to come next. And that's just, it could be something as simple as saying, hey, let me reach out to one of my peers and have a discussion about the role. I want to be more familiar with the day-to-day activities and some of the more complex strategic elements of the role so I can contextualize those and my responses going further further, uh, in an effort just to help you ensure that I'm the right candidate. That's owning the process. I think if, if the hiring manager gives you the nod to talk to another member of his team while he understands the process, you're driving the process. Yeah. So Dan, knowing that everybody's facing this four or 500 applicants per job, you're in a heavy compete environment. How do you differentiate yourself in the beginning to ensure that you are you're setting the tone for the 30 minute interview or the office. Yeah. The, you know, I do sleight of hand magic, right? Really good at it too. The <laughs> thing I love about magic is when I ask somebody, you want to see a magic trick? I got them for four seconds. I bring out the prop. I got them for 10 or 12 seconds. And as I go through the process of the trick and I'm driving on what they're going to see next, I got them captivated with the story. So not only am I setting the tone on my deliberately, how I'm moving, how I'm navigating the trick, but the story is also sucking them in so that when I do the payoff on the illusion, they want to see what's next. They actually, if I talk to them one hour later and I come up to them, I instantly have their attention because I showed them something different or something they haven't seen before. That hiring manager example you just said with your buddy, think about the other side of the coin. There was an article I read that the average person has an attention span of eight seconds. And when you start to think about the competing priorities of they have sick kids, you're their third interview. It's end of quarter. They got a forecast call. You have to set the tone and you have to drive that process really quickly in the first 60 to 90 seconds. Example of that, because I, I, I've i read that most recruiters will make a, a full evaluated opinion on somebody in the first 15 minutes of meeting them. So how do you break that? Wow. I think one example, I was on an interview where the hiring manager had their camera off. They showed up about five minutes late. And I knew right away that I didn't have the attention. And you got to read the room. I think mostly, Matt, A players and B players could read the room pretty effectively. But I basically led with, I know you have competing priorities right now. You got two weeks to your end of quarter. You might have a deal that's slipping and you got a forecast call coming up. But I really need to make sure that we're invested over the next 20 minutes and how I can show you that I can give you the best opportunity to win. How I'm a good teammate and how a long-term investment in each other is going to help build a winning sales culture. And you pause. And I did that. The camera immediately turned on. Yeah. You said something prolific enough to change the atmosphere in the room and recapture that visual's attention, just like you would in your magic trick example. And I think for uh, I think for those that are trying to be unique and different in the process, need to leverage that nugget of information that you just gave there to uh, to be a differentiator for themselves and set the tone up front and establish what the next 30 minutes, 20 minutes looks like. Yeah, I like your analogy. We're going to close this out. Hopefully there were enough nuggets in here and stories for our listeners, but let's close this out. Matt, you have a great analogy about driving the process, right? And you talk about a little bit about that because I think it's just a good force from the trees when you're thinking about this on that first or second call. Yeah, I think setting the tone in the beginning is just the first step in owning the process. The next 20 minutes should be heavily focused on what makes you different and better than those around you. So when someone asks you the opening question, tell me about yourself, you need to have a very clearly articulated value proposition for what the three major differentiators are for you 
And at least one of them needs to be bigger than your role in the organization. And no matter what the line of questioning is going forward from the uh, the recruiter or from the hiring manager, you infinity loop them back into those three things constantly. So you hover the discussion within the sweet spot of your skill set, and you're only highlighting the things that are bigger, better, stronger than the, those around you. And in doing so, you own the line of questioning and control the outcome of the discussion. And because you are telling heartfelt stories about who you are, not going off into the peripherals that may create some doubt about your abilities, you uh, have a very good likelihood of controlling the outcome. I love it. Set the tone, own the process, and drive the conversation through your differentiators. Matt just tipped us off on our next podcast, which is treating the interview like a sales cycle. Matt, leave us with a line of wisdom. Close us out. There's no learning in a second mule kick. All right. We'll see you later, folks. 